Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 157. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. Uh, how you doing, Fuleman? I'm none too shabby. Uh, I was at a wedding last night, mm. so I missed what sounds like one of the more fun Leaf games of the season. Yeah, it was it was a good game. I mean, through a variety of like real-life stuff, I've basically not watched any of the Leafs this week except for yesterday's game. Mm. Um. So it was a it was a good game to watch. I mean, whenever we beat Boston, that's nice. Doesn't happen often enough, frankly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it was good. And uh, I mean, it's been remarked elsewhere, but Marner just had a hell of a game. You know, he had one of those games where mm. that it was like Mitch Marner at his best. Yes, I'm sorry I didn't get to see it because, frankly, anytime Mitch Marner really goes off, it's heartening, and it's also worth remembering that he can have those games. Yes. Um, as frustrating as. It may be how things have gone lately. Like, he's a hell of a player. So, yeah, that, that, that's pretty great. And that made five wins in a row. As the Leafs have kind of... They certainly haven't fixed everything, but they've turned the ship around a little bit from how dire it looked after a few games where they were just dreadful. Yeah. So. For sure. And we'll talk a little bit about, you know, whether the Leafs have shown anything over the past little bit that's made us revise our opinions. We were obviously quite negative about it, about the Leafs, um, the last time we talked about them, which was two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, to give a quick spoiler to that conversation, uh, or I think it's going to go, I-, I think the important thing to remember, and we said this at the time, it, it's not that we thought the Leafs were a bad team. It's that we were judging them on, are they going to be a great team? And... I, certainly, the you know, you can't do better than a five-game win streak in terms of results since that time. Um, yeah. But there's still, you know, incredibly pertinent questions about whether that's true. Uh, and, you know, I don't think it's a... I, I do think there's a sense within the fan base that, okay, cool, we've righted the ship. I still don't think it's really clear that we're a great team. Right. And, you know, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade. Like, to be clear, five wins is five wins. Dope. Enjoy it. Feel good. Laugh at the Boston fans. We don't get enough opportunities to do that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just we aren't grading them on the standard of can you win some games in November. We're grading them on an, are you going to win meaningful games in April and in May. And, and so that's something that's in the back of our heads. I wrote an article um, before the Chicago game, which was the, the beginning of the win streak, with the title Regression to the Meaningless. I was very proud of that pun. <laughs> and the idea was, look, the Leafs are not as bad as they appear right now. And they weren't. But after we account for, okay, their luck is obviously going to turn very soon, and it did. Are they meeting the standard that we hope for as we try to believe in this team as a real contender? And so we're still waiting for that. That was a theme last year where we kept saying, look, we're looking for signs that this is really going to work out. Here we are again. We're searching. But um, a lot of things have happened in the intervening two weeks. So we won't do a game-by-game analysis or anything other than to say uh, I think they've generally been better as they've gone on, although I missed the Boston game, so I'm taking the word of others for that one. But, yeah, there have been encouraging signs. But there has also been a lot of news. Yes. And I guess the first thing that we should discuss is the big news that broke uh, last Sunday, I guess, or last, last week at some point. Um, Morgan Riley has been extended with the Maple Leafs. So his current contract ends after this season. It's for $5 million. 
and afterwards he will have an eight-year, $7.5 million per year uh, contract with a full no-move clause for the first six years uh, with a note that the no-move clause takes effect now. Uh, it's one of the CBA quirks. And a modified uh, no-trade uh, no clause, a 10-team no-trade clause, uh, for the for the two years afterwards. So, yeah, I mean, let's talk about this contract. This is something we, we've discussed a little bit you know, in the summer as, you know, this is a big decision for the Leafs to make and it's unclear what the best way for them to go is. They decided to keep Riley. What are your thoughts, Fulman? Okay, so I'm not super surprised that they made this decision. When we talked about it, we said basically there are three things they can do. They can own rental, let him walk the following offseason on the grounds that they would not have wanted this contract. They can explore a trade or they can sign him to the big extension. We both kind of said they like Riley too much not to, um, sorry, they like Riley too much to trade him. They weren't going to do that. They had passed up too many opportunities to do it up to now, and they seemed committed. So that door closed. And I wondered if they might do an own rental, as they've done in the past, with players like Zach Hyman or JVR. Um, some people hate that phrase, own rental, but I find it useful to describe what you're talking about. You're saying we're going to keep the player for the duration of his contract with the expectation we won't sign another one with him. But they like the player a lot. Kyle Dubas likes this player. I think, for better and for worse, Kyle Dubas has always been clear that he believes in the core of players that he has. Mm -hmm. He's now signed all of them to the contracts that they're on. And so... Well, I should say the, the one that Riley will be on. But he's basically said, this is my ship and I will sail or sink with it. And so him making a big commitment to a guy as part of that core that he likes so much is very in keeping with everything he's done up to now. I, I don't know that I love it, to be honest with you. It's my, my snap reaction was quite negative, honestly. Mm -hmm. And I guess... To some extent, I'm still figuring out. A lot of people don't seem to dislike it as much as I do. A lot of people who I think are, are very smart and intelligent and, you know, astute hockey um, observers think that it's it's a fine deal. The, the, initial, the initial thing I struggle with is that I'm not sure how good Morgan Riley is right now. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's been the least best defenseman over the past two years. I think Jake Muzzin has been. Mm -hmm. um, Riley does have some things that Jake Muzzin lacks that are that are quite obvious. And I guess we should start, just let's briefly talk about Riley as a player and what he is now. The thing that always comes up, and it really, you know, I don't want to short sell this because it's very true. Riley's one of the very best offensive defensemen in the game. And mm -hmm. not in a way where he gets a lot of points but possibly cannibalizes team offense. The team offense is awesome when Morgan Riley is on the ice. We have some numbers that we can put on that just for the sake of hammering the point home. Between 2018 and 2021, you said a minimum of 1,000 minutes so that we screen out guys who scored one goal in one appearance or something. There are 219 defensemen in that sample. And Riley is fourth out of all of them in goals four on the ice during that time. He's been on for a hell of a lot of offense. And even if we don't think that he was the primary driver of it, 
he's been there when good things have happened. He was, by the way, 130th in goals against and 17th in goals for. So it's worth noting, even though we all agree he's not the greatest defensively, it's not sewering his value by any means. He's been positive in Corsi each of the last five years, positive in goals each of the last four, positive in XG each of the last three, and positive in scoring chances each of the last five. Some of those numbers have spiked at given times. He had one really great year by XG, for example. He was really hot. But by and large, he tends to be in the 51% range for almost all of them. Um, I think that it's pretty clear he's a gifted offensive player. He's aggressive. He pinches with some effectiveness. Sometimes he gets caught up ice, and it leads to a two-on-one the other way, as we've seen, and TJ Brody has to bail him out. And when that gets pointed out, someone always says, well, it's on the forward to cover him. Yes, but <laughs> it's also on him to pick good spots. But I think we're pretty clear that he's at least a very good contributing offensive defenseman. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that. And his offensive brilliance by uh you know evolving hockey's RAPM outweighs his defensive frailties they, they view him as you know a strong driver of offense whether it's by shots or expected goals um and a weak preventer of opposing offense but in a way that generally has netted out slightly positively uh, in terms of chance quality or in terms of his effect on chance quality um you know on net Yes. The question that arises effectively is how much of that, how much of the, the goal difference that we see, the, the positive goal difference that the Leafs have with him on the ice generally, do we attribute to him versus the fact that he is also going to play a lot with John Tavares and Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews and William Nylander? Mm-hmm. Which he should because, you know, you would want, if, if, you're, if you have these great offensive players, you wouldn't want to target playing them with, a great offensive defenseman too. But that also means, you know, how, how much are, would we lose if we replaced him with someone who was viewed as less, you know, stellar offensively? And I don't think that's a really obvious question that we can answer because play styles and interaction effects, especially with Sheldon Keefe's system, can, can very much be a thing. Mm-hmm. With Riley, it wouldn't surprise me if the Leafs feel that, you know, they need s- someone with the mobility and offensive instincts and uh, risk tolerance of Riley in order to make you know the Keefe system work where there's a lot of rotation a lot of movement uh, a lot of exchange uh, between players especially in the offensive zone and that could be something where you you get someone who maybe on paper has uh, a better net effect on play driving and things like that but maybe that won't work with this Leafs offense because they just won't mesh properly. Right. That seem, I can see that being the case. Now, that having been said, the Leafs are paying Morgan Riley like he's essentially a, a top-pairing defenseman for the length of this contract. The numbers that we provided in terms of like his, his play-driving impact um, and his overall value, as far as we can see by the stats, it's not that of an absolutely elite offensive player or sorry elite um elite defenseman on the whole it's it's that of a kind of quasi top pair or extremely good 
second pair guy, like someone who's between, let's say, the the 45th and 70th best defenseman in the league. Right. I think that we have a couple of questions going on here. We tried to answer, how good is Morgan Riley right now? And I think we're both a little lower on that than maybe, I, I guess, some analysts or some models might suggest. I and noticed, it's also uh, worth noting, yeah. um, Micah McCurdy's model views Riley as a negative play driver uh, at this point. It, it's seen his, it, it views his offense as having less of an impact last year uh, and, and so far continuing this year, although it's obviously very early, while his defense is as bad as ever. And as a result, the net effect is 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 negative, right? Um, other models disagree. Dom Nishishin's model has him as an overall positive play driver because of his impact on offense. Uh, and as I alluded to, Evolving Hockey's RIPM model generally sees him as a positive as well. Although the, he, he's slightly negative this year, but it, it's like, what, 11, 12 games? So that's not a huge concern. Right. So we, we get into the two interlinked questions of how good is he now and how good is he going to be for the life of this contract, which is sort of a, a second concern. Dom's model, uh, very helpfully, puts a little rating of the level that he expects the player to perform at under each year of the contract. So for next year, he has Riley as elite. For three years after that, he has him as a number one defenseman. Not elite, still very good. Two years after that, top pair defenseman. And the very final year of the contract, in which Riley will turn 36 years old, the model has him as top four. And so my thinking is, I'm not convinced he's an elite defenseman right now. And so, if he's starting a couple rungs down from where this model has him, even though I think he's a good player, that decline has the potential to get painful. I think it has even more potential, in Riley's case, because he's such a terrific athlete. He's very mobile. He can extend and reach to get pucks uh, in a way that kind of belies his height. Like, he's very good at holding the line, which is something that I've appreciated about him. And he also can sometimes recover from his own mistakes or the mistakes of other people by sort of zooming back into action and recovering in time to make a defensive play. Uh, I think that actually that was a factor earlier in his career in him being rated as better defensively than he really was because crisis situations partially of his own making would crop up and he would kind of resolve them through a heroic play at the last minute and people would say would see the great Riley defensive play at the end and not so much the Riley play that led to it, the beginning. You put all that together and I find myself thinking, okay... We are paying him based on some things that I'm not sure are his doing. In terms of, I have a hard time attributing credit to him. And further, this feels like a bet on the Leafs as they are. As I was saying at the top of the segment, you know, Kyle mm -hmm. Dubas likes this core, likes this team. And you, you can sort of say, even if it's misattributing credit and it's actually giving Riley some of the benefit of the doubt for stuff that's really John DeBaris or Austin Matthews doing, you can say, well, they all work as a unit. We're going to keep them as a unit. Who cares? It's going to be good. And then you get into a question of how good is this team that we've committed financially to keeping together? Um, putting aside that, you know, by the time Riley gets to the end of this deal, it's very unlikely that those forwards are all still going to be here. Mm -hmm. But... It really feels like a bet on the Leafs as they are 
and almost a doubling down on the current core. And I don't hate the core by any means. I just, that fear that it's not going to be adequate is in the back of my head. And it feels like this is more money in that pile. Yeah, I mean, I think, as you said, the question boils down to who do we attribute the, the Leafs' great offensive results to when Riley's on the ice? And I don't think the answer is primarily Morgan Riley. Um, this is also one of those things where models are going to have different views of Riley depending on whether they include his 2018-2019 year. That's the year Marner and Tavares went absolutely ham and had like, a, I don't know, like 12.5 or 13% on-ice shooting percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Riley scored 20 goals that year himself. Yes, they did. were just as a unit on an insane heater that year, yeah. uh, and Riley has not really replicated that since. Yeah, he has seventy-two points that season, and mm-hmm. to be honest, you know, we were saying like we don't really care that much about points for defensemen. It's not like our biggest priority because I think they reflect as much as anything how good are the forwards you play with, and that was definitely the case that year. And how much power play time do you get? Yeah, and also just like it's even more impacted by variance because. I, I buy that forwards have, some forwards especially, have an impact on both they and their team shooting percentage when they're on the ice. I buy that a lot less for defensemen. Yeah, especially in the case of Morgan Riley, who has a, a useful little kind of floating wrister, but he doesn't have a terrific shot by any means. And so when he has 20 goals and then no other season in his NHL career as he had 10, that feels suggestive to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... You put all that together and you get a guy who I think is probably a very good 2-3 defenseman. Um, maybe a little more than that. Who has a lot of qualities that people like. He seems like a great guy, a great leader. Uh, good to have in the room. Probably captain material, temperamentally. All of that seems great, but I I have a real worry for one, we, we paid for what he may not actually be right now. And we paid him to an age where he's not going to be that anymore. Even if this deal Mm -hmm. is supposed to end on LTIR, like we've committed by doing this to an additional eight years of Morgan Riley on top of the one that's already happening. The deal doesn't even start until next season. Right. And so, you know, however good he is now, he will get worse. And there's the, the great potential for some years in the middle of this contract when he's not yet you know informally retired but he's a lot less effective and he's taking up space against the cap so we'll see but at any rate i think the leafs are certainly focusing on the present this is a you know the future is now team they're supposed to be trying to win as they have been lately. right so and i mean it, we it's a little unfair we you know you can probably tell as listeners we're not incredibly sold on this on this contract but it's worth worth evaluating well what's the alternative mm-hmm Right, that's always how you have to evaluate a decision. What's the alternative to, to signing Morgan Riley to this deal? We have to mention this deal is not an overpay in the context of oh, no other team would give Riley that. This is a discount yes. in that sense. Yeah, some team I absolutely would have thrown an, uh, a seven-year contract to Riley that started with a dollar figure in the eight, maybe with nine, depending on how this current year went. Yes, absolutely true. You know, we're looking at um, things like the Seth Jones contract, obviously. Um, eight years at 9.5, yeah. which, you know, on a similar time under Riley's, it, he was extended um, mm-hmm. into the future. So he hasn't even begun that contract yet. And Zach Wierenski is making six years at 9.5. You know, for the, the caliber of player he is, maybe we're just saying, look, we're scared of overpaying offensive defensemen. 
because in the context of the market, it's fine. Um, and, right. and maybe this just it's, reflects it's just my like, frustration you, with the team. But yeah, and it's a can you possibly do better by promoting Sandine and then say, you know, using this money elsewhere effectively? That's that's what the question becomes, and I don't think that has an obvious answer. Um, or at least I don't think it's obviously that yes, you could do better by mm-hmm. promoting Rathma Sandine because Sandine hasn't proven you know anything that impressive at the NHL level as of yet. He's been a good third pairing guy. Yeah, I mean, this is what always gets me, and maybe what I'm really reacting to here is that I don't like paying for power play points for defensemen because yeah. I'm convinced if you put Sandine in Riley's job. I think he would do it about as well on the power play. I'm not saying he'd do Mm -hmm. it five on five. But that would be a huge driver of contract price for them. Riley would get cheaper because his points would go down. Sandin would get more expensive. His points would go up. Without there being any real difference in the quality of the players. Or even a huge impact on the team. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's what I'm tripping on maybe a little bit. Is that the idea that we're paying him for something that is not really where his value lies. Right, um, and on this power play with the four star forwards, the defenseman is the least important part of that of that unit, frankly. Yeah, like, it, like, to be clear, and he should be, like, if you are a prominent defenseman and we're thinking about you a lot in that power play unit, you are doing too much. <laughs> you should be deferring to the forwards. So. Mm. I mean, you put all that together, we sound... I was kind of hoping this segment wouldn't sound as as pessimistic as it did. I mean, we definitely have some fears as to how this is going to age. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess maybe the sunniest thing you could say is that I'm still like I think he's a good player, and I think that this absolutely could have been worse. Yeah. So uh, let's hope that he ages well at this point. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's that's more or less my thinking as well. It's, I guess the. This this becomes one of those, I guess, Rorschach tests for how do you view the Leafs right now? Because, as you said, I think this is the most salient point. This is committing to the Leafs as they are. Mm-hmm. There is no meaningful player we can upgrade now, short of trading William Nylander. And, I, I, again, we've talked about this ad nauseum. We're not winning that trade. Nope. So, I mean, I guess we'll see from, from here on out. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it feels like... Yeah, Kyle Dubas has said, this is my team. And now it, it's going to be that team forever. I think this also, in the event that this season ends like the last few have, this guarantees that Dubas, or more likely his successor, is traded Nylander or Marner. And that's it. So, moving on. Uh, Peter mm-hmm. Mrazek, unfortunately, is injured again. Yep. I'm sorry to hear certainly disconcerting for a guy that we have signed for three years um who has you know been injured basically twice in the five weeks that he's been playing for the team mm-hmm. um he's out for est- an estimated four weeks you pointed out he's not on ltir we think yet not at least not as of yet that's the the tweet that was mentioned was just ir not ltir uh but i saw a tweet from jonas siegel where he said, you know, presumably uh, Mrazek goes to LTIR when that's needed, and they can do that retroactively. So I suppose it's, it's not an issue, and if we need to use LTIR, we will. Yeah, the, just to clarify there, the use of LTIR would be to get some cap relief. 
Um, the reason not to put them on LTIR is that there's a minimum amount of time you have to stay on there, which is 24 days, uh, 10 games, I believe. Uh, and so the idea is that if he were to recover quicker than expected, not putting him on LTIR gives you the chance to get him back sooner. But mm-hmm. it's it's a four-week anticipated recovery time, so it's probably not going to come up. Um yeah, I mean, you can only say that this is kind of worrisome. We're going to be leaning ever harder on Jack Campbell, who has been brilliant lately, mm-hmm. um, and is continuing to earn himself what's going to be a hell of a raise next season, yeah. the way things are going. And the, the Leafs are going to have to decide if they want to pay it. I think they do, but it, it could get pretty painful. So <laughs> Definitely. And yeah. this also gives the Leafs a smaller margin for error. Uh, you know, we, we talked so much about, okay, every, all that matters this year is the playoffs. All that matters is the playoffs. Um, and you want to put yourself in the best position to succeed in the playoffs. That will mean you, you want to have home ice, ideally. right? You want to face a weaker opponent, ideally. Just give yourself the best odds that you can. Florida, I mean, they're already they're like 10-0-1 and 0 and 1 or something like that. It's at the point where unless you think the Leafs are significantly better than Florida... It's hard to see us catching them because they just have a big lead already and they're not... I, I can't see a situation where they're clearly a much worse team than us that we would expect to outperform them you know, by a huge, such a huge margin the rest of the way. Um, yeah, like that's the couple, thing is even if they come back to earth, they have a six-point lead on us and a game in hand. That's yeah, exactly. actually a lot. It's a lot <laughs> in this NHL. Yeah. Uh, so it, that's going to be challenging to navigate. And if we have to throw in a few more Hutchinson starts then you know, I think that lowers our projection significantly, obviously, mm-hmm. and makes things makes it even harder to deal with. And then you have to also look downwards and say, okay, well, you know, I, we really want to stay in the top two to get home ice in the first round. It, can we guarantee that's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, not it, sure. Yeah. And I mean, Tampa's always lurking, even if they're less dangerous than before. I will believe Boston is dead when I see them buried and not before. So it's the same four teams that we were worried about now, and now we're yeah. we're going to be in a fight. I guess the good news is none of the other. I guess the the other team that was possibly going to be a worry was Montreal, and they. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do another podcast where we just get to laugh at them a little bit more, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know that that hasn't come to fruition as of yet, which is good. And then you know Detroit has been spunky. Uh, Buffalo has been, you know, better than th- maybe people thought they would be, but I don't buy those. Those teams are going to be legit long term. So I'm yeah, Buff- about I think Buffalo is already in the process of of finding their level again. And yeah, to be clear, this is something that Sabres Kevin, friend of the pod, was talking about. He said like the the question isn't is Buffalo a bad team? You look at the roster and you're like, yeah, obviously, it's that they're not cataclysmically bad uh, the mm-hmm. way that they were when when they tanked for Jack Eichel. Right. So, yeah, like, they'll be running the mill bad. Um, Yeah, look, the Leafs should be a playoff team, and they should be right up there with Tampa, Boston, and increasingly not Florida, but, you know, you never know, in in competition for playoff spots. It's just they've got a shape to position themselves as well as they possibly can. So, we'll see about that. Bringing it back around to the Mrazic injury, we just... We're going to have to lean on Jack Campbell all the harder. And you'd really hope Mrazek can come back and spell him a bit just because we don't want to burn him out. Um, 
Campbell looks more and more like the guy who's supposed to start game one of the playoffs as he did last year. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of keeping him rested and in as good condition as possible. Um, something that I think is maybe a little more optimistic, because we got to try to not sound so glum all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Coming off a five-game winning streak is the weird but sort of effective Pierre Engvall, Andre Kasha, and David Kampfline. The Confline named after the center. Um, yes. Sort of working as the way it's supposed to, I think. Yeah. I, I, okay, so we said positivity, right? <laughs> my, my tone there wasn't, wasn't incredibly positive. We're going to try. No, they, We're going to try. They've been good. They've been good. I guess the... They have no offense to speak of. I've already seen people saying, like, oh, man, like, it, it's, it's upsetting that we're wasting Kasha with these guys. I hope Comp's offense is coming along. And... I just got to tell you, if you're waiting for Comp's offense to come along, you're going to be waiting for a while. Doesn't have it. Like, I, you yeah. know, it, like, it, it is not there. Jordan Stahl is not walking through that door. <laughs> yeah, like, he's exactly what he was supposed to be, actually. A yeah. very good defensive center who has no offense at all. Simple as exactly. that. Exactly. Yes. Um, so, so that, that's, yeah, that's, that's what they are right now. Um, they're basically, you know, treading water in, in situations where they're playing up in the lineup. And, and that's helpful. That's about all you can expect from them, uh, realistically. It doesn't look completely doomed. The, the issue, as we've said before, is, well, when, when we get in games where we start where we trail, I, I don't know how, how much use we're going to have for that line or, or how frustrating it's going to be to have that line out there. We become then kind of quite dependent on on Jason Spezza and the fourth line to to provide any sort of depth offense. And this is actually something where we can be unreservedly positive. Spezza and Wayne Simmons have both looked very good to my eye. Simmons has looked much better this year than last, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but Simmons is not a good shooter at this point in his career. Nick Ritchie's just been kind of <laughs> not great in any sense, uh, e- even demoted there. So, you know, the fourth line you can't consistently rely on either. We are then very dependent on the top on the top six, but we know that about this team anyways. So Yeah, exactly. Um I think what it comes down to with this team is okay, here's where the the rubber meets the road in terms of your team being capped out as all hell and paying a ton of money to a core of players. You mm-hmm. have a third line that has a combined cap hit of four million dollars. Yes. That's all three yeah, that... of them together. And yeah. so it's like, what's the best you can do with $4 million? The truth is that a team is that a line that plays better lines than itself. And that at time of writing has one goal for and one goal against. It's pretty good. Like they're making aggressively little happen. And that's maybe as much as we can expect. They're very, very low event. But they win the shots battle, and they saw off and most other things. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you gave um, Sheldon Keefe truth to him, he would say, yeah, that's what I was hoping they would do. Um, again, you know, a really good third line would score. <laughs> but um, third lines as a whole are not that great, because otherwise they'd be higher. And yep. the Leafs have no money. So... <clears throat> Yeah, uh, but but that said, you know, I, I like it. I, I would love for 
just a little burst of offense at a pure angle because as you've said hoping for it at a david Kopp is a fool's errand right and and kasha has looked very very good mm-hmm. um I am terrified he's going to, like, break every bone in his body. He seems to end up on the ice a lot. It's upsetting. Every play. It's and like, oh. <laughs> it feels like he's on the receiving end of every possibly dirty thing that, that teams do against the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always to him in particular. It's insane. He's just a magnet for this sort of stuff. But he's good. We saw him on the penalty kill against Boston a little bit. He had a nice um, forced turnover for a chance. The penalty kill I've been impressed with generally. I think yeah. I don't. I haven't looked at the numbers on it, so you know it could be like, oh, Arvin said the penalty kill is good, and we're like twenty seventh in the league. That could be the case. But just to my eye, I think it's looked nice. It's been aggressive in disrupting teams. I like aggressiveness. It'll get you in trouble sometimes, but I I think I don't know. This is this is maybe an overly reductive thing, but I hate it when the Leafs play against aggressive penalty kills. So it's kind of in the strategy of do the thing that you would not want other teams to do to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, Kasha and Kampf have been, have been helpful there for, for sure. Engvall is, is still Engvall. I saw Keith had a quote where I think they put Richie on the third line for a little bit, moved <laughs> Engvall down. You know, death taxes and then Sheldon Keith <laughs> wanting to kick Pierre Engvall up in, up in the ass a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that that's i don't know i don't know what precisely is going on there but sure that's fine that's shuffling deck chairs yeah i mean i think when Ilya mikheyev gets back um he's the guy to solve that third line's offensive world yeah (laughs) a guy who has never finished on a play once in his life so yeah i mean i wouldn't be surprised if he took pure angle's job just because Sheldon keeps seems to like him better well and and uh angle is more I mean, uh, what are we going to do? Wave Nick Ritchie? <laughs> 13, <Maybe>. <laughs> 15 games into, into a two-year, two-and-a-half million dollar deal or whatever it is. Yeah, and you know what? To be clear, we, I were on record. I thought that was, like, worth a try. Yeah, we were like, okay, it seems like a reasonable bet and just has not worked at all. It has been rough. But, you know, let's hope it's early yet. But he, he's pissed away a top six opportunity. Yeah. Um, in, in deference to Michael Bunting, and you know, say what you will about Bunting, I'm, I don't think that he's a star power forward by any means, but like, he outplayed the fuck out of Nick Ritchie in mm. short order. So, yeah. Anyway, but that said, we were trying to be optimistic <laughs> in this segment. Well, no, it, it is it it is good. And look, yeah. the, the Leafs have here's here's the opt- the Leafs have been performing well over over the past few games. I mean, I did I didn't see the game against um Tampa. The stats don't look amazing, but people seem to have been more positive about it mm-hmm. than the stats indicate. I, my sense was that the Leafs got into a lot of good situations where for whatever reason they didn't record a shot. So that mm-hmm. they they look kind of bad by shot numbers in that game, but they were actually generating reasonable opportunities. In general, the Leafs seem to overpass a lot and it is frustrating. Um there there's nothing more annoying than when a team passes its way out of a out of a scoring chance. It's so annoying. Oh, yeah. It's it's, it's, it's the villain origin story of, you know, those guys who go, shoot, <laughs> uh, uh, in in the arena. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's absolutely understandable. No, it's easy to see from upstairs, right? Like, yeah, you're looking yeah, down we, and you nice like, he's wide open. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But, but that said, I think, you know, if you drew up a theory of the Toronto Maple Leafs, what's the way that they work? It's, you're getting the offense you need from the big four. And you're getting a solid defensive showing from the third line 
that is being very low event and low cost. And you've got a fourth line that is chipping in more than expected. Well, lately they've gotten those things together. Yeah. So and Although the, for the fourth line hasn't chipped in too much as of late. We, there's that stat where, like, you know, the last 11 or 12 goals from the Leafs have been scored by the four main forwards. Yeah. Which is good in a sense, like, okay, yeah, we need those guys to get going. But it is, there, you know, we're, we're a cold streak from one of these guys away from the offense drying up in a hurry. Exactly. Yeah, and like, an injury away. And look, this isn't news. This is we built a top-heavy team, so yes, we're dependent on them. Yeah, right. That's, that's the reality we've chosen to live with. And uh, I mean, if nothing else, I, I think it's been a good reminder that they are very, very good, very good players, and we paid okay. them for a reason. So yes. Um, some trade rumors. Yeah. So this is weird. So we haven't mentioned it at all, but Justin Hall has been out of the lineup these last five games. Uh, in in, uh, in Timothy Lilligren. I, I was going to say taking his place, but he hasn't really been taking his place. He took the place of Travis Dermott on the third pair. Dermott is playing with Riley. Mm -hmm. Rody's playing with Musson. Yeah, it's sort of a weird game of defensive musical chairs. Yes. Um, Riley Dermott is is interesting. It is definitely a bit manic at times from, from, from what I've seen. But hey, this is what we want to see. We want to see Dermott in a legit top four role on his offside and see how he does. Uh, he hasn't stood out incredibly positively or negatively to my eye, but as I said, I haven't watched the games recently due to, you know, real life stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's a thing. Um, to me, they've and, appeared good enough, which yeah. is about as much as I would have hoped. And honestly, again, this, this, this is worth noting with, especially, you know, we should have mentioned this when we talked about Riley, there was a time where Riley was facing like one of the hardest loads of any defenseman in the league mm -hmm. uh, when you factored in just how bad the Leafs were around him uh, and the, the, you know, his line mate, his, pa his partners, you know, being, you know, the, the, the corpse of Ron Hainsey and things like that, uh, Nikita Zaitsev, mm -hmm. and the competition he faced. That's not really the case now. He, he now faces a more average set, uh, co set of competition, or at least I shouldn't say average, but like kind of a more standard um, base of competition compared to, you know, what you would expect a, a top-pairing guy to, to face. And he his quality of teammate has now drastically improved, not just because the Leafs have gotten better as a team with guys like, you know, Tavares, Marner, Riley. Or, sorry, Tavares, Marner, Matthews, Nylander. But also because Riley now plays with TJ Brody, or had played with TJ Brody primarily. Yeah. Like, for the longest time, the excuse was, okay... Riley's defensive numbers look bad, but look at the situation he has to pay, play in. He plays for yeah. a terrible defensive team. His partner is Ron Hainsey or whoever the fuck else. And he's really being asked to bear a heavy load. And yeah, just it's worth emphasizing. None of those things really apply anymore. I except, you, yeah, again, you can say recently Travis Dermott is now the guy that he's being asked to carry. And I don't think Dermott is as good as Brody or Riley. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's been interesting and... As always in hockey, if you win with a particular lineup configuration, the temptation is to continue with it. And perhaps remembering that he went away from a winning lineup combination in the playoffs against Montreal to insert Rasmus Sandin. And then uh, I forget what happened after that. But I think Sheldon Keefe has been keen to stick with the particular grouping because they've worked. At least yes. for a given value of work. And so now we have Justin Hall sitting in the press box and being rumored to being shopped in a trade. Which is... I'm just gonna say weird. I mm. I don't really get it. I I don't think Justin Hall is that good, 
But mm. I think the Leafs do, or at least did, because this summer they spent assets to just make sure they kept him. Mm-hmm. And the idea there, I presume, is we have this guy who we know is working in a top four role. We can't mess with that. We need to prioritize that certainty. So we're going to you know, pay an asset to get Jared McCann, and you know, therefore we're going to lose... We've inured ourselves that we're, we're losing either McCann or Kerfoot, but we're we're not gonna keep we're not gonna risk losing Hall. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's now after five games to like, essentially be okay. Well, you know, Travis Dermott's working all right in the top four role, and Timothy Lilligren's playing fine on the third pair. We're we're good without Hall now. Is just like okay. Like what? Those two things seem inconsistent with one another right either you believe that he is worth as much as you did to protect him in the offseason or you kind of made a mistake and you overvalued him then and now you've correctly recognized your error but it's a bit inconsistent and the truth is Muzzin Hall even though we agree Jake Muzzin was the guy carrying the ball there was an effective shutdown pairing for two years and so Mm-hmm. I, I don't just want to leave half of that at the side of the road because Timothy Lilligren has not fallen on his ass. Um, to be clear, great to see Timothy Lilligren not do that, but like, well, it does feel like premature. What, Putting aside happens... that somebody is going to get hurt. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's ex- exactly what I was going to say. Because, you know, we're, we're not that far away from like Christian Rubens playing big minutes. Mm-hmm. So, this... This doesn't make sense to me. I, I like. I, I don't know if it's just smoke or if... Uh, Myrtle said there was actually something to it to some extent, right? You said they were asking for both Hall and Dermot, probably. They were shopping around. And maybe so it's it, just see the prices. Due diligence. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, maybe Hall is worth more than I think he is. But I can't imagine that you're getting a massive return on the Justin Hall trade to the point where whatever you're getting back is more valuable to you than the potential that you'll need him later. Right. Well, like, what, what's what's the upside for trading Justin Hall? Like, what, yeah. If you're asking me what, this, what I think this team needs, I mean, I guess, really, it's another good forward. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we are painfully weak on forwards. And I, I would like someone who has some finishing talent. Uh, the Leafs this year have, like, really undershot their expected goals. And we have this tendency to think of the Leafs as, oh, man, there's this super skilled, talented team. Uh, so they should be a, a goals greater than X goals. Uh, unit and it's not really true we have one guy who's maybe the best shooter in the league mm-hmm. we have three guys who are elite offensive players but are not necessarily amazing shooters they, they've varied from you know slightly below average to above average uh, at various points in their career and then we have a bunch of guys who are kind of bad shooters mm-hmm. so like we, we, we really don't have that great team shooting in general um Getting another finisher would be nice, but I don't think you're getting that for Justin Hall because finishing is expensive. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I'm kind of stumbling on here, and to be clear, asking is a way to find out the answer to this question, but what is Justin Hall worth is like, I can't imagine anyone is paying like a meaningful amount of money for him, or Mm -hmm. like a meaningful asset in a trade. Like nobody's giving you a first for the prospect of Justin Hall, who is... um, yeah, one year after this one at 2 million, 29, and who was probably a fifth defenseman. 
Like, I mean, he, he shoots right, which is always a little bit more in demand. Also, he has a no-trade clause. Which yeah. is just like, was that du- necessary? Dubas hands these out like candy, man. It's... I, like, it's, honestly... It's, it's weird, honestly. I, so, one of the things that, like... Th- look, I'm, I'm not... I've mentioned this before. I'm not a good negotiator. Mm. So, I, I, I can't really criticize Dubas because I don't know the... Re- I, I mean, because, one, there's no way I would do any better. And, two... I don't know the realities of this, but like the Leafs, one of the ideas of, or the, of the advantage of being the Toronto Maple Leafs is you have all these little things to sweeten the pot with other, with free agents. You can signing bonus them up, right? You can say, oh, we have these great, um, great facilities. You know, this matters more for like, you know, people in, in the AHL as well. You know, our AHL franchise behaves like an NHL franchise in terms of the quality of like, you know, nutrition and, and amenities and things like that. Um, and like no trade clauses are one of those things where you, you add it to the to the contract to like sweeten the pot for the player and maybe get them to compromise elsewhere. And as far as I can tell, the Leafs just add it to the pot and then it's like, okay, cool, yeah, we don't need anything from you. Like, just take it, dude. Do you want to hear the most damning thought that I've ever had? And like, it's crossed my mind a few times in the past. Mm-hmm. Is that Kyle Dubas would be an outstanding GM for a team unlike the Toronto Maple Leafs. Where, if the budgets were smaller, if mm-hmm. he wasn't in a position to be handing out big ticket contracts and this and that, if he had a kind of forced um, shortage in what he could give up, it might actually restrain his most obvious weakness, which is that he's too generous to players that he likes. Mm-hmm. Because I, I honestly believe he's quite good at a lot of the, a lot of other stuff. I've liked his drafts; the returns are good early. Um, I've liked his ability to find undervalued players at the margins. Uh, we were just talking about Andre Kasha, for one, as a, a classic example. Um, I like his general demeanor. <laughs> I like the fact that he seems to uh, have the respective players, but he is a little bit generous when he decides he wants somebody. And, y- you know, I-, I think we saw that with Riley and with Mitch Marner and all the way down to Justin Hall. And mm. yeah, now you can say it's also, it's a bit of an unfair theory, but it has crossed my mind a couple of times. Yeah, I, I, I can sort of see it. I, he, he, Dubas feels like the guy who, uh, if he has a budget, he will spend to the budget no matter what, mm. <laughs> even, even if it's not necessary. It's like, I've, I've been ordering, I've been talking with my, 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 the tech department at my, at my school to get me a, a new work laptop. And it's like, do I need one? Not really. My current laptop is fine. But do I kind of want one? Yeah. And I mean, while we're getting it, I mean, might as well get a nice monitor too. And maybe, I, I could use a keyboard. So it's just like, you know, you, you can convince yourself pretty easily. Listen, you are doing important work. And if anyone from your school is listening, Arvind is being modest. Give him his computer. So, yeah. But like, I just, anyway... To be clear, I'm not saying that this means uh, like I want rid of Kyle Dubas, but I, like there no, are no, some decisions around yeah. these, the edges here that are that have been less than optimal. Like you don't need to give Justin Hall a modified no trade clause. Like who who are you negotiating against? Yeah, with or Justin if it's like, Hall of like who who is offering him who was offering him like two and a half million at, at that point? Yeah, it was the middle of the season a... too, and but they were like, okay, we gotta lock this in. I think. The truth is, is that Kyle Dubas seems to keep believing, like, I found the answer. I'm going to lock it up now. 
And it's like, well, it, as long as he's right about this core being good and great and everything, it's fine. But, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, now that said, I guess we've seemed to have gone in the other direction if he's being shopped. So, we'll see where this goes. I would mm-hmm. be surprised to hear him move, but it's just... Very. I, I would be really, really surprised. Yeah, but that's, that's just because it doesn't make sense to me, and yet it, it sounds like it's something that's at least in the air as a possibility. So... Um, we were going to finish as sort of our general update on how are you feeling about this team? Do you have real hope that this season is going to end better than the last few? I mean, it certainly could. It could. Right? I'm not going to say there's there's no possibility of that. Yeah, there's uh, there's a meaningful chance, I think, for sure. Yeah, and I guess it's always unfair in the sense of, you know, we keep saying, okay, what can this team do to to kind of show us that they're that they're legit in this in this season that they're they're ready for the playoffs and the reality is you can't drive the risk to zero we the one of the best regular season teams of all time got swept by the blue jackets three Mm -hmm. years ago or whatever it was right and it's worth saying we've been saying okay you got to show something against real competition well they just beat tampa and boston that's real competition it is and again like i'm not i'm not worried in the sense of i don't the Leafs are a good team. We, we know that, mm-hmm. right? Are, are they a team that is going to stomp on the neck of bad teams is, is a question I want to see answered. Yes. We still haven't done, I mean, that Vegas game was a good start, right? That's yes. a team that had no business being in the same arena as the Leafs with their injuries, and the Leafs stomped on their neck. Good. Do mm-hmm. that again. Like, and again, this is a high bar because Buffalo has to win games sometimes. Detroit has to win games sometimes. Right. Right? So saying, oh, go undefeated against those teams is... is unfair but when we face those bad teams i want us to absolutely kick their ass right right if we lose sometimes you'll lose but i don't want it to be like oh yeah you know we we generated 1.2 expected goals against buffalo Mm -hmm. right i don't want it to be oh ottawa neutralized us and kept us to the outside that that's like one necessary condition for what what i'm looking for is like okay if, if we can kick the ass of those teams very consistently Maybe that'll, that, that's one thing. And that's something we didn't do even all the time last year, right? Mm-hmm. And then the question is, well, what does it look like when we face the really, really good teams, right? The, against Boston yesterday, I think, I think we played well. Um, but, of course, it's not, it's not a game where there's a 95% chance of the Leafs winning based on the chances. So doing all the other small things on the margin is important. It's good to see the power play looking nice. That's important, right? Even strength yesterday. Um, it was 2-2 against Boston, wasn't it? Because mm. we got two power play goals at an empty netter or something like that? Yeah. So, like, the power play marginally has to drive the difference for us. That That's something that we need to keep an eye on. Those are the things I'm, I'm looking for. As of right now... You know, we were really negative on, on the Leafs two weeks ago. We were like, this team does not look like it's significantly different. The five-game win streak has, has made me think, okay, that's a good start. It hasn't made me meaningfully feel that this is one of the five best teams in the league. I, st- I still don't fully believe that they're one of the five best teams in the league. Yeah. I should say something as a, just a brief correction. The Boston goal was actually a power play goal, so it was oh, yes, 2-1-5-5. Yes, but yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what I kind of keep coming back to, is I look at the best teams in the league, the Colorado Avalanche, the Carolina Hurricanes, I think, are there. The Panthers are putting uh, the Panthers themselves in the are, are making it pretty clear they belong. 
and Tampa and Boston. And I'm saying, okay, can I convince myself more this week or this month that the Leafs belong with those teams than I could a week or a month ago? And I can't quite do it yet. Maybe this is just a TBD where it's, you know, keep racking up wins, keep having positive performances, and I'll right. be able to put you there. And, and, and so the, I don't want to ask the impossible. I'm just saying the, I want to The see devil's more. advocate to us is like, mm-hmm. what if this team was not called the Leafs, right? right? If this team was not called the Leafs, we were not fans of them. We would look at a team that is, as of right now, um, sixth in Corsi percentage. Mm-hmm. That is as, uh, at 5v5. That is uh, sixth in expected goals percentage having missed, you know, their best player for a quarter of the season at this point, mm-hmm. right? That is still rather low in shooting percentage. That is drastically undershot its expected goals. We'd be thinking this is a contender who, who is scuffled a bit, but they're going to be fine and they're going to be a real threat, right? Yeah. Looking at it from, from that vantage point. Now, the thing is, the, the Leafs have still actually... We, we've, we've been outscored at 5v5, in part because our, our 5v5 finishing has been just truly ghastly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's a given that you can say we're going to, that that's going to completely rectify itself. As I said, we actually have a lot of negative shooters, mm-hmm. right? And we're really relying on the top four forwards to drive any finishing advantage that we have. Matthews, we know he's going to be himself, you know, at least in, in a large sample of the regular season. But Nylander's had years of below-average finishing. Tavares has had years of below-average finishing. Marner isn't uh, a great finisher himself either. So that, that, that's a risk. And then an injury to any one of those makes us genuinely a bad shooting team. Mm-hmm. So that, that's still a risk. You know, I don't think you can... A, a lot of people were, like, derisively saying, like, oh, you know, people are panicking over the Leafs already. Their, their shooting percentage is so low, it's going to rebound. And it's like, well, number one, you know... Shooting percentage, just because you had bad shooting percentage before does not mean it's going to rebound, right? Like, the expectation is, this, is, mm-hmm. is, is, is unchanging, right? Just because it's not, it's not something where, you know, it's going to improve necessarily. Mm-hmm. That's gambler's fallacy. Number two, it's not clear that we're, our true talent shooting is, is, is that high. And number three, again, the bar is, is this an elite team, right? Not, is this mm-hmm. a, a good team? We know we're a good team. It's, you know, can we get beyond that? Still waiting and seeing. The signs are good, and I do feel a bit unfair in the sense of I'm not sure what the Leafs really could have done over the course of this young season to make me really that much more confident than I am now. Maybe it's as simple as don't lay that egg against Pittsburgh and have a better game against uh, Carolina. That's the other really legit team that we faced, and Carolina kind of just, Mm -hmm. I think they kind of schooled us. It looked like they never got out of second gear, and they still very comfortably beat us, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, it's, I be I guess that's what it comes down to: is don't get embarrassed by the bad teams, and then show everything you can against the good teams. And they've they've been better in both respects the last couple of weeks than they were before. So let's hope for that. Um, the the Flames mm-hmm. game that's uh, coming up November twelfth, this Friday, that feels like. Maybe a chance. I, I, I'm running into narrative territory here, but I'm saying like maybe that's a measuring stick game where you look at a team that has started very strong statistically. Yeah, the Flames have had yeah, great and that, to start the year. You know, it's, it's a Daryl Sutter team. They're not going to be easy to play against, even if you think that they're overrated by Corsi. Um, maybe that's 
something where the Leafs can show, hey, we're we're ready to go toe to toe with these kind of teams. So just more evidence of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do want to give credit where it's due and say, hey, beating up the Boston Bruins is always a feather in your cap. So, so that's good. Yep, absolutely. Okay, I think that's all I had. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, thank you all for listening. Um, we should be back to our weekly schedule unless anything has, unless anything you know drastic comes up. Uh, Fulman and I were both busy over the last couple of weeks actually having a life, which is really yeah, weird. No, the, the, Do not recommend. Neither of us were stay at home and watch hockey. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but yeah, we should should be hopefully uh, getting back to our, our normal schedules. And um, yeah, thank you, you know, to list anyone, any listeners for for sticking with us. So. You can catch all of mine and Fuldeman's work at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.